to take the events unfolding in the New Testament, especially then as we see it in the, in the last days of the life of Jesus Christ, and dislodge it from the rest of the Bible and the context. We need to see what has happened to our Lord and Savior as part of God's total plan of salvation, unfolding over the ages from the fall of man. And we will see that this plan of salvation is not some sort of an emergency plan or a contingency plan that caught the Lord on the wrong foot. Therefore, someone said, over when the sun rise over paradise, it cast the shadow of the cross. It all began then in paradise, of course. We know the history. God made a covenant with Adam and Eve. And he created them with the ability of perfect obedience. He, he put them before a choice. And, and he, there were certain things that they were not supposed to do. They were not supposed to eat of the tree. They listened to the voice of uh, the serpent, which is the devil. And they, they, they rebelled against God and fell into sin and with them, they plunged everyone born after them into sin. Now, that is the Bible message, and, and it's not a good message. It is not something that you and I look at lightly. And that's why we call this Good Friday. Because Good Friday is the day where the Lord brought us the good message that he took us out of that slavery of sin... And he put us on the road of salvation. Adam and Eve listened to the voice of the tempter and rejected God's plan for their life. God could have left them there, but in his mercy he made another, another covenant with them, another agreement. And this is the covenant of grace. To accomplish the salvation which would once again restore the relationship between them and God, he gave them a promise. And that promise was, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That's the promise. That is what some people refer to as a proto-gospel. That's a gospel before the actual gospel of the New Testament. It is God who said, there will be someday, someone someday who will do away with the power of the devil. And throughout the Old Testament, all the sacrifices, all the ceremonial laws, all the festivals, all the customs, as well as all the promises of the Old Testament, as they pointed forward to that person, they pointed forward to the Savior, Jesus Christ. And people on their way were also prototypes of Jesus, like Joshua, who brought uh, the land, the promised land to the people. There was Moses, there was Elijah, there were the many prophets, and there were the many priests, and the many kings. The one to be born would be the son of David, but he would have an eternal kingdom consisting of those whom he would purchase then with his own blood. 
Then, right in the beginning of the New Testament, the angel appeared to Mary and told her that she would conceive by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and to Joseph, the angel said, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. That is the Greek for Joshua. It's the same, it's the same name. Why? Because he will save the people from their sins. All this took place, the Bible says, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. So when Jesus commenced his public ministry there at the river of, of, of Jordan, God descended from heaven and the voice then said this, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now that was the, the moment where the, the focus of the world was upon him who has come. And God says, on, in, 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 with him I'm well pleased. Between paradise and the ministry of Jesus Christ, God elected for himself a people. With them he made a covenant. This all was in Adam, but through Noah, and then more specifically through Abraham. God promised to be their God. He gave them his commandments and laws to which they were called to be faithful in living as his people. The relationship between God and his people is expressed in terms of this covenant or agreement or a contract sealed in the promises of God and in his faithfulness in his name. He promised them his blessings for prosperity, for safety, and he even said that the nations around them would honor and respect them. He would give them peace. He would give them rain and season. He would give them, he would withhold from them the pestilences and the war. You can only study the covenants God made with Abraham and Noah and, and, and with Adam, and, and, and you will see these things there. It's, it's stated there. As a matter of fact, God did not deal with his people other than to enter into a covenant with them. And, and, and if you would like to read Deuteronomy chapter 28, it, it, it opens your mind about how the Lord says he would bless his people. Deuteronomy chapter 28. You remember that chapter? Go home, read that one. Don't forget to read chapter 29 because that's the opposite of what would happen if the people were unfaithful to the Lord. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 28. The Lord says all these things to them. I will bless you. The I will be with you. I'll be your God and I will look after you and, and you will have children and you will have descendants and peace will be with you. All these things will happen. The Lord says, but you have to keep my commandments. That, that is the agreement. That's the agreement. It is not to say that they would be saved by keeping the commandments. No, the Lord said he saved them and therefore he gives them the commandments so that they would, by doing that, show their thankfulness to the Lord and live a holy life different from all the people around them. But you see, there's also a counterpart to the blessing, which was the curse for disobedience. And that's what is it's recorded in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Just a few things. 
the works of their hands, that is, if they, if they rebel against the Lord, the works of their hands would be cursed. Their children will wear the consequences. Ruin, diseases, pestilence, war, heat, drought, plague, defeated by the enemies, death, tumors, sores, madness, blindness, confusion of the mind, failing marriages, children enslaved to foreign nations, oppressions, captivity by foreign nations, etc. All these things, are, the Lord says, well, this is what I do for you. I saved you. I made you my people. You live by this. This will happen. You choose to rebel against me. This is what will happen. I'm a faithful God. I'm, I'm not coming back on my word. That's how it is. Amazingly, the Israelites, as God's elected nation, rebelled against him. They chose to go wrong. Like Adam and Eve rebelling against God, they rebelled against God and they rejected the covenant. They were supposed to be God's serving nation, but they became God's rebellious nation. And the result? God poured out on them the curses of the covenant. All the curses of the covenant fell upon them. Instead, them being the glory to the nations, they became a nation which the others mocked. They became the scorned nation. And then in the end, they were taken into captivity. They served the Babylonians. They lost their temple, their land, their honor, everything. But that was not the full stop. I was only a semicolon there. And like so many other places in the Bible where it says, but God. He did not forget his people. He did what he promised right there in the beginning. He kept covenant, but there was a sacrifice needed which would exceed all possible sacrifices, which would be bigger than all the prophets, all the kings, and all the priests of the Old Covenant. The fulfillment of this redemption was built on exactly the same promises of the Old Covenant to procure then a covenant nation under the sovereignty of God as their king. But because they were failing so miserably all through the ages, something and someone had to come and stand between them and God and restore that forever. This time it would call for that perfect redeemer. Not the blood of bulls and calves anymore. Because they were only shadows of the perfect sacrifice. Now God would fulfill the promise made in paradise with Adam and Eve. And he would give them that one who would crush the head of the serpent. He would become the head of the new covenant as the perfect priest, as the perfect prophet, as the perfect king. And he would purchase a nation for God with his blood. And he would take away the shame with his blood. The shame that's on God's people. He will take away the guilt and the punishment and the sin not just by saying, well, I forgive that, because God doesn't work that way. He does not turn a blind eye to sin. Sin has to be dealt with. And when Jesus then came into this world, 
He took the sin upon him. And he dealt with sin. He would become the perfect prophet and the perfect sacrifice. And on the third day he would rise to bring about a complete new dispensation. On this dispensation things would be different. This time God would send forth these gospel not only to Israel but from Israel. So that it would include all the nations on the earth. And that, my dear brother and sister, is why you and I can be here today. Because the good news has spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, through the ends of the world. We can hear the good news of the redemption in Jesus Christ. We who were not Jews by birth, but as the Bible says, who became children of God, not through the will of a man, but through the will of God. Now we are family of God, if we believe. In the light of what we heard today, we must believe that the cross was no surprise to Jesus. He was sent to save, to die, and to take upon him the shame and the curses of sin. It was God's plan of redemption. He provided a lamb without blemish. And the Lord says, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. He does it willingly. Freely. And then we find him now single-mindedly on his way to Jerusalem as if nothing would stop him. On their way to Jerusalem, Jesus leading the way. He's not saying, well, I'm going to try to see if I can get out of this for as long as possible. He was on his way. And so, by the way, the good thing is when you read the Bible, um, he was always the one that, 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 that took the action. Judas thought that he was probably the one who would betray Jesus, and Jesus said, someone here will betray me. Jesus was the one, always taking the first step, the first action. He told his followers that he would be rejected by his own people as they rejected God before. And as they killed the prophets then, so they will do again because he will be the final prophet. As God spoke to his people then, so he, Christ, will do it again now. As the sacrifice of lambs did not atone in completeness then, now it will because it will bring final atonement. But to do that, he must suffer and be rejected. And we read all these verses, all these words there. And, 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 and you, think, you think by yourself that Jesus is actually spelling it out. How they would reject him. How they would scoff him. How they, uh, they would mock him. How they would spit on him. And how they would then kill him. Very specific words. It's not like beating around the bush here. It is, it is, that is what's going to happen. And Jesus said he's willing to take that. And then now we understand why Isaiah chapter 53 was so, so, uh, so explicit in the way in which 
Jesus, the suffering servant of the Lord, would be rejected, despised, would suffer. He took the scorn, the mocking, the condemnation, the flogging, the spitting that were supposed to be on the people because of their covenant disobedience. And he took it as his own. He took the full curse of disobedience the disobedience upon him. He would give himself to be killed, hang on a cross, to be, to be looked at as someone that God says, you're cursed because you're hanging on a tree. But Jesus did not come to die for sins only. That's only half the story. If someone asks you to summarize the gospel, and so many times we hear this, people summarize the gospel, so what do you believe of Jesus Christ? And you'd hear this. And, and it's good, it, it, but it's not complete. I believe that Jesus came to, to die for me. So, so what then? If Jesus just died for you, that wouldn't be much. Because we, there are a lot of people who died. Jesus died for us, but he rose again. That is the point. The righteousness before the Father that he, that he uh, uh, procured for us includes him giving us a new life. The resurrection opened, the, opened paradise again. He restored life to the Father once again. The lamb slain on Calvary was the fulfillment of God's prophet, uh, promise made in, in paradise. When he rose on the third day, he had victory over hell and sin and Satan and death. And indeed, he did crush the head of the serpent. Now he, the king if of all kings, reigns over death. He is the son of David who knows no defeat. By his perfect obedience he acquired righteousness. And, such, and as such he became more than Adam, more than Noah, more than Abraham, more than David, more than anyone in the Old Testament. He became the head of the new renewed covenant. He fulfilled the law by giving it complete meaning. And he fulfilled the law by taking the curses of the law on it. But by his death and resurrection, his righteousness brought us justification before God. It brought you and me who believe in him a new life, an, an eternal life. We won't one day when the Lord Jesus comes again, and you know that He is coming again. I, I hope that you've never, for, you haven't forgotten that, and that you, you've not left that out of your mind. You know the Lord Jesus is coming again. Some look at me in disbelief. Now you're not. It's just let's remind one another of that. You know that's what the early Christians did when they got together. They'd greet one another and say, "Good morning. The Lord's coming again." That's what they said to one another. The Lord's coming again. When the Lord is coming again, those who believe in the Lord will not stand in condemnation. 
they'll be free. Why? And how? Well, Hebrews chapter 10 gives us this. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. But it can never take away sin. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You get that? The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And all of this, my dear brother and sister, cannot pass us as if nothing has happened. It calls us to a new obedience. His obedience has now become our obedience. We are called to obey Him and follow Him in His righteousness. We are called to holiness because He is holy. We, we may stumble and fall, and our only hope of restoration is to bow in humble repentance at the feet of Jesus, knowing that He fulfilled the law, and in all its detail we plead His righteousness. We need to live in Him. We need to love Him. We need to abide in Him. We need to bear fruit in Him. We have to have hope in Him. And then we have to die in Him. Life outside of Jesus Christ is no life at all. Yes, it is breathing. But it leads nowhere other than eternal punishment in hell. He'd say, it's Good Friday, just don't talk about hell. You know why it's Good Friday? Because Jesus took the curse and the punishment of hell upon him. But that's not what he had planned, what he planned for you we hear this gospel today. You hear this gospel and I hear this gospel and we are called to a new life in Christ Jesus. And at his feet today you may leave the sin of the past. You may leave your old life of disappointment and disillusionment. You may only hear about sin forgiven, but here at the feet of Jesus, at the cross of Jesus, you may receive forgiveness. Because that is the message of Good Friday. God made him who knew no sin to be sin 
so that we may become the righteousness of God. Here, everything starts new. You've heard the gospel. God wants you to be his child. God wants you to be forgiven. God wants you to be new. God wants you to look forward to the day when he re returns. God wants you to die in peace. So this is the day. Bow at the feet of Christ. Give your life to him. And live to his glory. Amen.